Welcome to Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Join us in a sex-positive awakening adventure to help create a sex-positive world. Become part of a movement and start living a sex-positive lifestyle free of sexual shame and guilt. Adult Bedtime Stories is a Raven Slayer production. Adult Bedtime Stories is a show dedicated to bringing sacredness back to our sexuality and to learn about everything sexual. Allow the beautiful sexy creature within you to emerge. Each week the focus of the show will be on a different sexual topic designed to enlighten you so you develop more fully as a sexual being. This is a sex education that you didn't receive in high school but should have. Imagine for a moment that we could change the world and live a sex-positive lifestyle. In our sex-negative world, the process of socialization teaches us to feel shame and guilt around sex. By adopting a new set of attitudes and values around sex, we can view sex with a new understanding, which is accompanied with positive emotions and the attitude that sex is a sacred act. I am Lady Boy Chi, a sex expert, a life coach, and a sacred harlot. My life vision is to create a sex-positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. Hello and welcome. I am Ladyboy Gigi. And tonight I'm going to do something a little bit different for our podcast. I'm going to be reviewing a book and discussing the book and part of the book in detail. And this comes about because I've started my adventures in taking courses to become a certified sex coach through Sex Coach University. And one of our assignments was to read a book and write up about it as an, one of the optional assignments. So I decided to go through my own personal library, and I found a book that was on the book list, which is Sex for One. The Joy of Self-Loving by Betty Dodson, Ph.D. And I have Paul with me tonight. Hey, guys. And this book I hadn't read in many years, but it's a, I reread it yesterday and today, and it really has a lot of profound meaning even in today's world. It's a book about masturbation. <laughs> especially female masturbation, but they touch on male masturbation some too. And the first chapter is on liberating masturbation. And in the first chapter, Betty Dobson 
takes a look at how can we make masturbation less taboo. She doesn't quite put it in those words, but basically it's taking a look at what's so bad about masturbation. She dispels some of the myths and that masturbation's selfish or it causes pimples or it causes warts or all these other myths, and then talks a little bit about what it does do and some of the benefits of masturbation. One of the ones that really stands out for me is the, that masturbation is really good to prepare you for when you are in a loving relationship and when you have a sex partner. It teaches you how to work with your own body and where your pleasure centers are and how you like to be touched. So you explore masturbation and it helps prepare you for later when you are in a relationship. Or if you're already in a relationship, it can help you bring a whole new level to your relationship just by each of you taking time to explore and liberate masturbation as part of your sex. And one of the myths that comes up in our culture a lot of times is that masturbation isn't real sex, only intercourse is real sex. That's so not so. <laughs> Even couples can masturbate together or they can put on a masturbation show for each other. And by doing so, you kind of enrich your love life by seeing how each other likes to pleasure themselves. But any comments, Paul? I think that the myth that you just were talking about is one that's really deeply ingrained in people. I remember when I was younger and I hadn't had sex with a partner yet, feeling really down about myself and feeling like there was something wrong with me. And it was only after some time had passed and I had had a few partners that I realized how important that having sex with myself was to me. And I really formed a deeper bond with myself by recognizing how powerful it was. Mm -hmm. And then the next chapter, she talks a little bit about the romantic images of sex. And in this chapter, you know, we get bombarded with movies and Hollywood images of what romance is all about. And often that sets up a really unrealistic image for us to try to perform. And so she covers some uh, interesting misnomers that we get about sex and love from Hollywood and from romantic novels and some of the storytelling that's out there. <laughs> and I think that's so applicable today even that too often we think, oh, we're supposed to be this or we're supposed to be that. Real love is this or there is a, uh, well, one of the things that's one of my big beefs is there's one and only one soulmate for me. And I have to, save myself and wait for this soulmate. Now, she doesn't talk about soulmates in the book, but that's definitely one of the things that comes up when we talk about the 
Hollywood image and some of the whole concepts of romantic images of sex. But any thoughts, Paul? The notion of the one is really one of the most toxic things out there for people because there are a lot of situations where someone has someone break up with them and they're still desperately in love with that person and they get this idea that that was their one chance at love and that they'll never have love again and that they're doomed to a life of you know singleness and really and it it's really damaging to people and being polyamorous definitely helped me get over that idea that there is only one person out there for you because when you are in a polyamorous relationship or even see successful polyamorous relationships around you you realize that so many different people give you different things and it's I think it's really harmful to people to hold on to the idea of a soulmate. Oh, yeah. I think you're right about the concept of the only one being pretty toxic. I know that for me, when I first started dating, I met someone, fell madly in love, got into a monogamous relationship, and within a few weeks I met someone even better. It wasn't like I was going to dump the first one for her, but I thought, boy, this is bad timing. <laughs> this monogamy thing sucks. <laughs> I was very happy with the first one, and we stayed together in a monogamous relationship for probably about three or four months before we kind of broke it off. It just brought up in my mind many questions about how is it we're supposed to supposedly be virgins and wait until we're married and then make this lifelong commitment and contract to have a monogamous sexual relationship and knowing even if we're sexually compatible together. And that was why I broke up. Well, why we broke up in that first relationship was that we just weren't very sexually compatible with each other. And so it just raised a lot of red flags to me. This whole concept of, oh, there's one and only one, and you have to make this lifelong contract. But we're diversing from the back. <laughs> Although she does talk a little bit about this whole concept of monogamous marriage and, and how it can be difficult to really navigate without a better education in sexuality and a better education in relationships, period. In chapter three, she moves on to erotic images of love. And we have this notion that sex should be intercourse and that partners shouldn't masturbate or include masturbation as part of sex. Or in the woman shouldn't even include manual clitoral stimulation as part of the uh, lovemaking. It should just be stick it in and everybody's happy. Well, no, it doesn't quite work that way. For a lot of women, they don't feel a whole lot in the vagina. 
And so she kind of covers some of the erotic images of love and some of the myths and misperceptions about how it all works. But any thoughts? I think the idea that people aren't supposed to masturbate when they're in a relationship with each other. Or even have oral sex. Or Yeah, that's completely ridiculous. I remember one time my partner actually caught me masturbating and she got upset with me that I would be masturbating when she was just in the other room and I could have asked her for sex. When I told her, we're in a polyamorous relationship. If I were having sex with another person, you wouldn't have a problem with that. But I'm having sex with myself, and for some reason, that's a problem. And she actually understood it, and we made up, and it it was pretty good. It was a really good point of growth for, for us, but I, yeah, I think that the whole concept that you wouldn't want to masturbate when you were in a relationship is just completely backwards. Mm-hmm. And I really like this chapter because it helps break some of those myths about what sex should be or shouldn't be and what's right or wrong. Sex is sex. Listen to your body. Let your body guide you. And listen to your partner's body. And then the next chapter, she gets into sex art. Betty Dobson is a trained artist. And so she started painting and drawing the human body sexually. And some of the things that came up were that women and men have shapes and different shapes, sizes, and types of genitals. I mean, we're not just rubber stamped out of one mold. (laughs) And there is a lot of diversity, especially for women. The female genitalia are not well known by most people. I remember not long ago, I came across a recent study, and what they did was they had 100 people draw a penis and draw a vulva. Almost 99% got the penis and balls right. (laughs) When it came to the vulva, and this was both men and women, something, it was a huge number. I think it was like only two or three out of the hundred got the vulva correct. I mean, we don't even know what the vulva looks like for most people and how it is, where things are. I can see even back in that time, but even today, how so many women can think, oh, is mine right? My inner lips are not the same size, or they're a little bit, they hang down loose. I hear a lot of cases where boyfriends say, oh, you need to get those chopped off and get them even, and and you don't want danglies. (laughs) And, you know, that just, it's like, well, what about your danglies? Sometimes one ball hangs lower than the other. Shall we chop those off? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) So I see this kind of, and I'm kind of putting my own words in here. I mean, she really gets into a lot about getting models to masturbate and drawing photos, I mean, drawing artwork and erotic art 
and she even talks a little bit about some of her art shows and goes into some of the things that occurred. I mean, some people at the time were just very open and receptive and loved it, and then other people were like, you can't put that up, that's pornography. <laughs> I found the whole chapter on erotic art was pretty interesting. But any thoughts? <laughs> the other day we had a play party, and the woman that was hosting it for us, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. she was talking about how she wanted to start having art shows and in her house and and erotic art shows erotic art shows and things like this and talking about having us do performance art there and different things of that nature and it really got me excited and it really got me thinking a lot about sex and art and the human body and how varied it is out there in the art world and what an amazing subject <laughs> sex and sexuality is for art mm -hmm. like, and i've always believed the body is an art form and and even sex can be such beautiful performance art i mean it is so much like a similar to dance and similar to very beautiful dance ballets I've seen that have been just very erotic. And yet we get so weirded out. I remember I went to a modern dance that was all the dancers were nude. And I loved it, but I could see it made a lot of people very uncomfortable to have artists performing in the nude. <laughs> I remember reading about this art car at Burning Man where someone was describing their experience and they had hitched a ride on this art car that was going around and it had a large screen where they were projecting what she thought was, you know, just regular pornography. And she was watching it and getting really hot and turned on by it. And then it ended. And a minute later, the man and the woman from the porn that she was watching got out of a special room in the back of the truck that this art car was built out of, and she realized that it wasn't pre-recorded porn. It was porn that they were making right there on the spot in the cab of the truck. And I always thought that that sounded like a really awesome art piece. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's, I should do that in Temple sometime. <laughs> <laughs> That would be kind of cool. Or I have heard of doing shadow sex where you project a light mm -hmm. and you have a couple having sex and then a transparent sheet where their shadow hits the sheet and you watch the shadows making love. <laughs> That's awesome. And that can be pretty hot too. Mm-hmm. 
Well, going on from sex art, she gets into the next chapter, raising sexual consciousness, and a big part, the women's movement. A whole big can of worms sometimes in the women's movement. But I also see it as very powerful, and it did create a lot of change in the world. But one of the things she brings up in the book about the women's movement is you don't want to get overly political when it comes to sex. It is okay. <laughs> and sometimes, whether it's the women's movement or any other contemporary movement, sometimes we get these ideas of what sex should be or how it should be in light of our movement. And oftentimes we can really run astray and get caught up in things that a whole new set of myths. A big part of really understanding and raising sexual consciousness is to really fully understand how our bodies work. And that's one thing I love about Betty Dobson is she sticks with this whole premise of, well, how does the female sexual response work versus how the male sexual response works? I think by really taking a deep look at raising sexual consciousness and really exploring who and what we are as sexual beings can have such a very profound effect in our lives and can be very healing. I know that one time I was listening to two women debate each other at a party, and they were both feminists, and one of them was making the point that sexual liberation was actually a very misogynistic thing because it was a tool that people were using that fooled women into playing into men's sexual fantasies and deluding themselves and believing that it was about feminism and liberation. And then the other one, on the completely opposite end of the spectrum of opinions, thought that sexual liberation was very good for women and she was very proud of her pr promiscuity and thought that it was an extremely liberating thing. And I remember being really sad with, for the the woman, the first woman, because it really seemed like her opinion kind of came from being uh, very unsure of herself, and I think she was uncomfortable with her body and her own sexuality and projected it onto women's liberation. Mm -hmm. And that kind of brings us to our next chapter, which is genital imagery. And in this chapter, she did a lot of drawings of the vulva and, and even of the men's phalluses. And one of the things that came out of it by making this public was that a lot of women realized for the first time, no, I'm not defective. My vulva is 
beautiful as it is. And there is a lot of diversity, especially in women's vulvas. I've been around the block on that one, and I've seen many different shapes and types of lips. They're very similar, but they can be very different, too. And there's a range in colors and textures. Even the inner lips can sometimes have different textures in the skin. One can be larger, the other smaller. They can be huge or very little. There's a wide diversity. And there is no normal. And yet a lot of women think, oh, mine are so abnormal, I don't want anybody to see it. And she goes into so many women that like don't want to have oral sex because their partner might see how defective they are. It's such a horrific way to grow up thinking, oh, my body's all wrong, when it's really beautiful and right just as it is. But any thoughts? <laughs> and I know men go through. They, she also talks a little bit about men and you know, a lot of men have deep concerns about, am I big enough? Does my penis, is it manly enough? And then the other subject that doesn't come up very often, she brings this up too, is circumcision and how damaging that is. Even the skin and muscle memory, she surmises has retained some of that early trauma during infancy. And when they perform circumcision on infant males, they don't use any anesthesia. It's just dropped on a board and they whack it off. <laughs> and it's not just a quick, simple procedure. It's very painful. I think that, yeah, it makes me feel really bad for a lot of people that have problems and issues with their own genitals. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that whenever you do see genitals in TV or movies or even in a lot of art, it's always people with the quote-unquote like perfect genitals for women it's women that have very small labias and it's all tucked in and neat and nothing hangs and all of that and but for, I find the hanging part sexy <laughs> oh I do too uh, and for guys they're always really huge cock all one color it's really sad how and that's the image that most people have in their head so when they compare their own to these representations of course they're going to feel bad about it um, but I really find all sorts of different genitals really beautiful mm-hmm and I even did a, I remember I went through a lot of, a kind of dysphoria about my genitals, partly because I'm intersex and doctors had changed the way they look. 
and partly because they circumcised me. And one of the things I did was I researched it and I learned how to regrow my foreskin. And that was so empowering. I mean, that really helped heal a lot of wounds. But it just felt so oh, invasive and just this whole sense of this grown man took my infant genitals and mutilated them. You know, that was very profound to me. And I went through a long process healing from those wounds. And so I know how deep this can affect people. Definitely. Bringing up circumcision, I know both in, both you and I uh, are d definitely completely against circumcision of infants. And I know when I was a baby, when they circumcised me, they, they actually cut a little too far down and it affected me in a lot of different ways. And it's a contributing factor to the fact that I used to have a, a hard time with premature ejaculation. Luckily, you've you've helped me a lot with that last one. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I could go a whole, well, I have done a whole show on foreskin restoration and circumcision, but and I could probably do several more. <laughs> But it is such a uh, atrocity, and and I think it gives so much of a reflection on the society's attitudes and values. We want to take part of the na male anatomy and mutilate it so boys won't jerk off so much, and that's a real reason underlying it and how it started, mm -hmm. or they wouldn't play with themselves so much. It's amazing because even in the womb, both in, before we're even born, both boys and girls masturbate. And it's a natural part of us. It's so much a part of us. And to try to eliminate masturbation through surgeries and through, oh, they've done all kinds of things. And even horrible things to boys where they put these devices on their pe little penises so that they won't get aroused. Very humiliating for a little boy having to wear this stuff all the time so they won't play with themselves. And oh, that we're getting far afield from the book, but but there are so many th atrocities committed just to stop masturbation. And it's such a natural thing that even little children, before they're taught otherwise, naturally want to play with themselves and discover. And that's a healthy process to go through that, to play with ourselves. But to try to prohibit it, and yeah, we do need to teach our young ones that, well, this is something you need to do in private or with a special group of friends, but you don't want to do it in public. <laughs> and I can see that. 
But anything much more than that is just, I can see why people as they grow up, they have so many sex problems because from an early age, we're so conditioned and so stigmatized to be anti-masturbatory. Oh, and not only that, it just flat out didn't work. Oh, no. (laughs) But it does screw us up in many ways. Oh, yeah. It does cause a lot of damage to even try to keep nature from occurring. But nature is a powerful force, (laughs) and it lives in each of our bodies, male and female. Luckily the rate at which people are getting circumcisions is going way down. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's been proven that it's having a foreskin is actually good for you. It keeps the head of the penis a moist membrane. It's a gland. It's not meant to be dry skin and rubbing against everything all the time. And... I could do, like I say, a whole thing on this, but and already have some. Doesn't really occur here in the U.S., but in many countries, they do either circumcision or sometimes a whole clitorectomy where they amputate the clitoris. And that's just horrific. And that's just to enforce monogamy and to keep a woman from faithful to her husband. It has nothing to do with pleasure. And I think it, in the end, really goes against really a good, balanced, healthy sex life and marriage. But any other thoughts? No, we can go on to the <laughs> next topic. And the next chapter, she covers the body sex groups. And these were groups where Betty Dobson would have women come in and she'd teach them about their bodies and even how to masturbate. And it was such a powerful thing. It wasn't just done in a kind of jerk-off kind of way. It was really teaching women how their bodies worked and more as I would see in ancient days, how a temple priestess or priest would teach a young person, oh, this is how your body works, and take them age appropriately through the process of how do I stimulate my body? What does feel good? And what, where is the clitoris? Where is the vagina? Where, what is the inner and outer labia? And and what is the penis? What is the foreskin? Showing and telling and learning how to pleasure ourselves. So the body sex groups was really about consciousness raising and learning about our bodies. But especially for the, most of them were for females. Later she did some body sex for men, which is a chapter after this next one. But the body sex groups were very powerful and very enlightening. I wish I could have gone to some of those. (laughs) (laughs) But they do things like show and tell of their genitals and really learning that, oh, my genitals aren't deformed. They're very beautiful and celebrating in the joy and 
beauty of our genitalia. But any thoughts? <laughs> I really would also have liked to have gone to a group like that. I think that... Maybe we should have some. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a pretty good idea. I think that one of the things you've talked a lot about in the past is how people aren't really given any sort of sexual education. That's one of the reasons we started this po podcast in the first place. And I think that it is important to get informed and to learn about yourself and about your body and how it works. That's a big part of the training that I do with you, and it's done tremendous good in my life. Mm -hmm. And I would love it if more people were able to go through something similar. So I definitely agree that these sound like a, a very good thing. Mm-hmm. And then the next chapter, chapter eight, is orgasm, orgasm, orgasm. One of my favorite subjects. <laughs> and she goes into that, well, an orgasm's an orgasm. It doesn't matter if you masturbate or if you use sex toys or you do lovemaking. An orgasm is an orgasm. And how you get there is the journey. And one journey versus a different journey doesn't make an orgasm better or worse. It's more how you do it, techniques and learning skills. Any thoughts about orgasms? <laughs> it's also one of my favorite subjects. So I think that there's this idea that a lot of people have that, and it's one of the reasons why I think People kind of look down on masturbation, you know. People make masturbation jokes a lot, especially about kids that are unpopular or kind of awkward. And I think that that gives people the idea that the orgasms that they get through masturbating are somehow not as good or as important as the ones they get through intercourse and penetration and things like that. And it's just not true. Yeah. And the whole idea that if you use a vibrator or electronic sex toy, that somehow that corrupts the orgasm or makes it less of an orgasm or makes it something other than this kind of sacred intercourse orgasm is at the top of the pole, so to speak. Well, actually, uh, a lot of women don't get an orgasm just from penetration. Some do, but many don't. Many women need the clitoral stimulation, which doesn't really occur in most positions when you get into intercourse and so it's mostly just vaginal stimulation and so so many people expect well so many women have to kind of fake an orgasm and just because they don't want to make their partner feel bad 
And I find that so, you know, just with a little communication, and this is part of what she discusses in in her book, is that so she uses a vibrator while you, she has her boyfriend fuck her. She's getting an orgasm. He's getting an orgasm. What's so bad about that? And yet it can be so taboo for a lot of people. They think there's this kind of myth. Oh, I'm not a man enough if I can't please her with my own cock. You know? <laughs> it's like, no. Adding or having her even just finger herself while you are having intercourse can bring sexual fulfillment to both. And there's nothing wrong with your cock. There's nothing wrong with the vagina. There's nothing wrong. It's just open up and to new concepts and let the full lovemaking experience come about. Don't limit it to just straight intercourse. We kind of lost track of time this show. But masturbation and sex is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> anyway, um, if you enjoy what you hear on this show, check out our website, ravenslayerleather.com. We have training videos. We have all kinds of freebies on the website and even a link to Patreon. And we do, so far we've been covering this show out of pocket, but we would welcome some help and assistance for those that could spare a little bit of money and donate to the cause. So if you're able, sign up and become a patron of this show and help support adult bedtime stories. <laughs> Anything you want to add before we go back? <laughs> Another way that you can help support the show is by visiting our website, ravenslayerleather.com. On our website, we have all sorts of different training videos to help you increase your knowledge of sex and BDSM. We've got free videos. We've got most of the videos are priced at around $10 per training video. And then we have one video that goes really in depth and you get a lot of the different trainings bundled together. So so visit our website and go to the video section and check them out. Mm -hmm. Well, back to our show. And we're basically doing a kind of loose book review, but also just kind of describing Sex for One, The Joy of Self-Love Making by Betty Dodson, Ph.D., Betty Dodson is such an amazing person. I mean, just in her time to have brought all this out. Of course, it was 60s, 70s, 80s, where things were a little bit more progressive. <laughs> the next chapter is Body Sex for Men. And in this chapter, she explores how she tried to take what she was doing for women and put on a body sex program for men. 
And at first, it wasn't taking the first attempt, or the first day of the first attempt. And so she kind of goes through the process of how she started working with men and their sexual response and how to help open men up. And she found some distinct differences between men and women. There's a lot of similarities, too, but there are some distinct differences in how we approach sex and how we approach masturbation. And one of the things that I've always kind of been aware of is that for men, it's all out there. You just look down and it's there. You see everything. For a woman, it's a little different. It's hard for her to see it unless she gets a mirror out to really get familiar with her intricate parts. And so it's a lot different in certain aspects. To really know oneself, it takes more effort for a woman to really examine and explore her genitalia. That was one of the differences that came out, that for men, it, you know, they already were fairly comfortable with parts of themselves, but in other aspects, the issues were a little different. Like men were more concerned about the size of their cocks or performance anxieties were a lot bigger issue for men. And so she goes through a whole chapter on body sex work for men. But any thoughts? I'm willing to bet another issue that she ran into with men is that they probably had it in their head that they they already knew everything and that, you know, if they needed a class on how to you know, better pleasure themselves that somehow that was demasculizing for them. Actually not so much, surprisingly. Huh. One of the things she did find was that women were much better at interacting together while naked, whereas men tend to put up a lot more boundaries. And men were more familiar with seeing each other's naked bodies like in gym classes or sporting events where they're in the dressing room or showers and that men often take group showers not all together under the same shower head but in the same room together and so there wasn't as much of the discovery that oh my penis is a little different than his penis Whereas with women, that was a big issue. But also the women tended to be much more open to touching and being close, where men tended, because of socialization, men tended to be like a rock, (laughs) so to speak. They were supposed to be independent and stand alone and... you know, very solid. But she had a good group of men to work with and that were fairly liberal and a little bit more open than a lot of the men that I've seen come into Temple, for instance. Uh, Often they will come in with a lot of this kind of 
machoism. The men she was working with, they were they slowly opened up to the process. So it's kind of an interesting chapter. <laughs> and then the next chapter is masturbation as meditation. And there she starts touching on the spiritual aspects of masturbation and some of the problems she ran into that she tried to incorporate it and the people that were into the uh, sex work weren't into the spiritual side and the people into yoga and meditation and spirituality weren't into the sexual side. And so she ran into a lot of difficulties in that arena at first, incorporating the two. But then she talks about a study that was done and that they were measuring EEGs and using other measuring tools while people were getting off to see what parts of the brain were activated. And that was kind of an interesting chapter too. I won't give away any of the fun parts. <laughs> You'll have to get the book and read it. But it was some interesting conclusions that came out of that. And I've always felt that sex is a sacred act. It is a spiritual act. When we make love together, when or it can be. It's not always. I mean, I've certainly done the anonymous sex thing and done a quickie and just sex for sex. But even then, at some level there's always been kind of this spiritual undertone of all sex for me. But for a lot of people, it's not there. And I think that kind of exploring the spiritual side, I remember I ran into a lot of problems early on in the BDSM community years ago when I tried to even, well, it was very taboo to say spiritual BDSM back then, two were like <laughs> did not mix <laughs> and I learned real quickly you don't bring that up in BDSM circles and in the spiritual circles you don't bring up BDSM and, or at least back then but slowly I think we're reaching a new age of consciousness where people are getting hungry to bring spirituality into their sex and into BDSM play and it is the next step, I think, moving into the spiritual components. And I'm not talking religious, but also she talks a little bit about tantric sex, and that's just her early explorations in that arena. As you know, I have a meditation that I do every night that involves a lot of sex and sexual uh, aspects and for me it's been tremendously helpful in a number of different ways uh, in my day-to-day -day life I've found myself much more mindful and much more aware of the own my own inner workings and I think the reason that is is because it's really easy to convince myself to meditate every night because I know that it's going to be erotic and hot and really sexy. And so it's something I really, really look forward to every night. And it has 
changed the way that I think about sex and about my own body. And mm-hmm. it's helped me discover new things about my body and the way that it works and focus on pleasuring other parts of my body other than just my cock. And, you know, it's really done a tremendous amount of good in my life. So spirituality and sex is going through training with you. It's an integral part to my training, and it's done a tremendous amount of good for me. Oh, yeah. And when we get into sex, we're getting into more than just a physical act. We're getting into the energy of the body. And part of sex is energy work. It's working with our body's energy, reaching an orgasm. It's building up that energy to a climax. When we're working with sexuality, it's partly spiritual by nature, I think, just because we're working with the body's energy. And we are energy beings. And so as we work with our sexual energy, we're working at a spiritual level to some degree or another. And depending on how we focus on it and what we do, if we get into deep meditations and get into more of the spiritual side of sex and working the energy through the chakras and using breath work and and energy dynamics, it can become very deeply, profoundly spiritual. When we just do a quickie, there's a tinge of spirituality in it, but <laughs> it's not that deep. But I do think spiritual is, to some degree, in all forms of sex. I I agree with what you're saying, that there's spirituality in all of sex, and I think that that's something that I was aware of even before I started my training with you. Because anything that causes the release of all of the happy chemicals in your brain, I think, touches that really profound, sacred part in each of us. And I think that part of the reason sex is so profoundly spiritual is because it does allow your brain to release all of the really good chemicals for you. And I I just think that it's good for you in general. I know that it it's a very healthy activity. It's exercise. It gets your heart rate up. It opens up your lungs. It does so many good things for you. And I think that it'd be almost impossible for it to not affect you spiritually, whether you're aware of it or not. I think sex does another thing for us. It, When we fully live a sex-positive lifestyle and we embrace our sexuality and we practice either masturbation or lovemaking or morning affirmations or any number of sexual activities, each time we raise that pleasure up, 
it's not just the good feelings being released. I think it helps us become more balanced as a person. And through that balance, we become much more self-confident. We become more aware. And it also taps into the intuitive and creative side of the brain. And that's where the artist lives. That's where we become more creative, not just in sex, but in all avenues of our life. And so I think in a way, sexuality does open our creative side more fully. I'm not saying you can't open it without sex, but I think it's a matter of degrees. I know that when I become most creative, uh, it's when I've really had one of those amazing orgasms, and for the next few days, it's like I'm still kind of in that intuitive side, that creative side, and I get these visions and sometimes just these thoughts come to my mind that becomes more creative and more insightful. And so I can become more attuned and aware of the world I live in. And that's to a big degree because I've raised that sex energy and opened up those pleasure centers and really given and received pleasure. It's such an amazing gift. Mm-hmm. And I think we're to the top of the hour. We'll be continuing this book review in our next episode. What we've been covering is Sex for One, The Joy of Self-Loving. And even though I'm just kind of very highlighting each of these chapters, it's amazing I mean, this is one of my all-time favorite books. It is, she touches on so many aspects of sexuality and sexual development that we miss in our country, in many parts of the world, too. We don't get the sex education that we should get. I think if the world were my way, I'd say this would be a required book for young people just reaching adolescence to learn about their bodies and to learn that, oh, my body's not wrong. It's just right as it is. In fact, it's perfect. To become more accepting and loving of ourselves before we start trying to jump into relationships gives us a good foundation to start a healthy relationship especially a healthy sexual relationship. But I think this also touches on all relationships. When we can be centered and really loving of ourselves at a very deep level, and this is part of the process, accepting ourselves as sexual beings. And so we'll be continuing our journey into sex for one. But for tonight, we ran out of time, so we'll have to do another whole show on this. Oh, my. (laughs) But I love this book, and I'm by no means giving any justice to the writings. I mean, she has a way of writing this book that is just so down-to-earth and understandable and 
very insightful on how I am as a person. And it really is addressed to help with women's needs to overcome a lot of body image hang-ups and some of the thoughts, am I normal? Is my pussy the right way? Is, is my vulva correct? Am I deformed? No, you're not. And through the process of reading this book, as an intersex person, I really identified from both sides, both the male and the female. And she does address many of the male issues. So I think it's a good book for both men and women. And especially if you want to understand how a woman responds sexually and how to really help a woman come to terms with herself and come into an area of being more of a sexual receptive person instead of just a sexual giver Have her read this book. I think she'll learn a lot from it. Learn yourself if you're male. That, oh, okay, I don't have to perform all the time. I don't always have to have an erection to enjoy sex. There's many different forms of sex. And she covers a lot of these in Sex for One. It's an excellent book. I highly recommend it. And so on that note, Have a very good night. Enjoy those nocturnal emissions. Touch yourself. Explore. Learn about your body and how it works. Discover the joys of orgasm. Explore the pleasures. Ah, those beautiful, hedonistic, and beautiful primal urges that come about. Explore them fully. See where pleasure can guide you in this process of learning how to live a more sex-positive lifestyle. Have a good night. Good night. I find it interesting that adults in our culture are not provided with informative sexual education. Even married couples don't have access to an adequate sexual education and how to pleasure each other. It's assumed that somehow we will instinctively know all that we need to know about sex. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there's a better method. I would like to invite you to join me in developing a sex-positive lifestyle freedom of sexual expression between consenting adults. Join us each week to learn everything sexual. Add your comments about the show and any suggestions you have for future show topics. We would love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss any episodes. This concludes this edition of Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Sex is the final frontier. So explore everything sexual.